Let's go back to a Go Loud original. Hello? The guy you're looking for is some kind of ex-commando or some shit. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. T? T, that you? Ah, damn it. I didn't hear what you said, Tone. So I'm gonna talk fast. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, nice, huh? He was with the Interior Ministry. Guy's some kind of Russian Green Beret. This guy cannot come back to tell this story. You understand? I hear you. There is, Paulie. Oh? Tone, you there? I... Call me back! You're not gonna believe this. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. Guy was an interior decorator. This house looked like shit. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Back to Pine Barrens. My name is Owen Sheehan and every week myself and Sue Murphy go back and watch a film or an episode of a television show for like the millionth time. This week we are marking the 20th anniversary of season three, episode 11 of The Sopranos. It is one of the greatest episodes of television ever made. It is, of course, Pine Barrens. And to mark this occasion, we've gone out and grabbed the biggest Sopranos fan we know, Ger Gilroy. You're very welcome to Let's Go Back To. I'm very glad to be here. This is automatic, sort of, this is my favorite Sopranos episode for basically everybody in the world. Is that the case for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's really good. There are there are loads of other ones. Um, everybody always talks about Whitecaps. Whitecaps is the one where they go and they buy that amazing house down the shore and end up getting divorced in the same episode, essentially. Um, and I think that's the one that they both win Emmys for. So uh, there's not enough Tony in this episode for me, really, for it to be my all-time favorite. There's, um, I mean, there's a bit of Tony, and he's very good in it. There's no Carmela in it, really of any significance and I would miss that. So like it, it's sensational as a, as a one-off, you can sit back and watch this at any point. And even the, the meadow subplot is amazing. It's brilliant. Like her little sleuthing, she's a uh, full Colleen Rooney. Um, <laughs> like that, that is, you forget about that. And I, the uh, Gloria Trillo and um, I had mistaken in my head when I went back to watch it, I thought that, this is the bit where he throttles her, but it's not actually that obviously I think is the, the next week. They're obviously in a run of just incredible episodes here where um, things are absolutely sensational. I think the other thing is that happens with the passage of time. You realize Christopher and Polly are absolute scumbags. They are murdering evil, horrible people. Um, when you watch it the first time, you, you root for all the characters. There's like just this kind of innate, and that's the, that's the, the majesty of the achievement is that they make you really, you know, want these characters to succeed. And like David Chase goes on this journey himself where he's ultimately appalled by that. He wants you to remember all the time that they're murderers. And like with the distance of time, like they're such scumbags. They are such scumbags. But it's, it, you know, look, it's, it's brilliant. It is genius. You do find yourself rooting for Valerie quite a lot during this episode, I found, uh, certainly on the rewatch, <laughs> that's for sure. He's like my, my favorite character. It's a good point about um, uh, an absence of Tony, but definitely about an absence of Carmela. I think she's the greatest character in The Sopranos. And yeah, she's, she's a, a big absentee from this. Uh, Sue, you're not convinced that Pine Barrens is the greatest Sopranos episode ever? Like, of course, you're, you maintain it's brilliant, but uh, there is one other that catches your attention usually. Yeah, the Adriana episode um, where she dies is all like... I we should say I, spoilers I, for anybody who's like made it to Pine Barrens. Adriana and dies? <laughs> what? You're, 20 you're years later. not finished. 20 years later, I'm really sorry about this. <laughs> Um, but that's in season five, and I, like I, I haven't gone back and watched The Sopranos since, and that is the episode that really stayed with me. Like when Silvio brings her in the car, and they're driving into the like I can still remember that blow for blow everything that happened. It's just you really get like obviously we know they're shit people, <laughs> but you really get to a point where you're like fuck they just kill anyone in that family yeah. they don't care, and yeah. she's so close to that family, and you know the scene. I think it's in the, either in the episode before or the early in that episode where Tony, where Chris tells Tony and you're like, there's no hope for her. But I think Pine Barrens is so different because I had, that was the first time I've watched it in 18 years, two nights ago. And I was like, I don't remember this episode. Imagine thinking that. And then the second I saw the preview 
image on Sky with the snow. I was oh, <laughs> this episode, these fucking ages in the snow for an hour. Yeah, like it's just, it's exceptional. It's such brilliant TV as well because if you think about it at the start of it, when they're knocking on your man's door and if you just like fast forwarded to the end when they're in a truck in the middle of the woods, you're like, how the fuck did this happen? Mm. That's what I love about it. It's just so mad. Long-term parking is the episode where Adriana gets murdered. Long-term parking, yeah. There are two episodes of The Sopranos that are tied at the top of the leaderboard in IMDb, both with a 9.7. They are Pine Barrens and Long-Term Parking. So I think they are generally accepted as the two greatest episodes of all time in this television show. I think it's a good point that you make, though, about not going back, uh, or haven't gone back. In the middle of the cut and thrust of The Sopranos, when you watch it for the first time, you speed watch it, unless obviously you watched it live at the time, and then you're like, you are still voraciously worried about what's going to happen. Like, it's all plot driven. And this is largely irrelevant in terms of most of the plots. Like, uh, Jackie Jr., I think breaking up a meadow is quite important in the long run, maybe for his ultimate downfall. Um, the Gloria Trillo character doesn't last much longer than this. And while she burns incredibly brightly in the series and the season is as important, I guess, ultimately in the breakdown of their relationship between Tony and Carmela, you know, is, is just another one of Tony's um, Gumars. And uh, I, I actually think I, the first time I watched this, I would have been kind of annoyed that there was less plot, that there was less Tony. I kind of would have been like, Whereas when you go back to it, and I also think that the, um, the industry around it has hyped it to a point where it has become one of those received things as well. That I think there's loads of other hidden gems in this, Brown, that in the next three or four years, someone's going to do an oral history of, or when the book of the podcast at the moment comes out, there'll be extra detail about some of those other episodes. And you're like, oh, because like the story of what Bobby is wearing to make uh, Tony laugh the way he does after 18 hours of... of um, filming i think all that stuff feeds into the mythology around this episode there is a lot of mythology around this episode so many different oral histories have been written over the course of the last couple of months to mark the 20th anniversary we'll try and filter a bit of that in as we're going through an episode recap which is what we're going to do for the spine of this episode but sure one of the things we ask all of our guests is about how many times they've watched it and how pine barrens and how this piece of art has changed over the years between i don't know when the last time you watched it was and this week when you rewatched it uh, so I think I've seen it four times. I think I've done three full watches of The Jesus. Sopranos. And the first, the most recent full rewatch from start to finish would have been at the start of lockdown. And um, we were like, look, let's go back to something comfortable. And, 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 um, and so how has it changed? I think we've talked a little bit about how it's changed. And that first time you watch it, you're like, give me the good stuff here. What's the story with this? Why are they still here? And then second time you watch it, you go, I can just relax into this. I know, I know how the whole thing is going to finish. And so therefore you get to appreciate it. And then the third time you watch, you're like, well, this is unbelievably funny. Like, I mean, it was obviously unbelievably funny the first time, but just the bit where like, put down, put down, put universal remote in docking station. <laughs> put universal remote in docking station. And that's the bit where he just, he fucks it over his shoulder and it breaks. And from the moment the universal remote is broken, the whole world goes to shit. When the universal remote breaks and you're watching it the second or third time, you're like, uh-oh, should have done that. Should have done that, Polly. Um, also, the car is missing at the end. Yeah. And they're like, no yeah. big deal. They're like, what? The car is missing. And Tony, uh, uh, Tony Sirico's face, uh, Polly Walnut's face, when it's like, the money's in the car. Like The first time I watched that, I, when I remember watching it going, Tony's just going to kill him here. Like, and you know the way Tony does that, like they really intimidate Tony where he loses his mind and he just like pulls you up. Or there's the other Tony where he's being really nice and that's worse. He does the, that's okay, it's no problem, mm. it's fine. And you're just like, oh my God, he's definitely not going to, he's not going to be in the next episode, next episode he's dead, look. Yeah. Mayonnaise! Mayonnaise! <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> And the, the death stare out the window. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's like, I mean, it's a beautiful open-ended conclusion to the episode, especially, I think the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, Valerie's going to come back into things because he was introduced in the previous episode and the writers just said, well, he was actually just going to be a central part of Pine Barren, so we needed to have him appear beforehand in some way. He couldn't just be totally random. Whereas I thought watching it the first time, I was like, oh, he's been here for two episodes now. We're going to see him a little bit longer. He will come back like a zombified Russian is going to kick down 
Paulie Walnut's door and murder him with a broken university remote or something. But that does not happen. Um, right, let's go, let's go through the episode. Let's go through this chronologically because uh, we might have a few things that fall between the cracks if we don't do this. The episode, it opens on the boat. It opens on the Stugats. Gloria uh, shows up. She's wearing a cowboy hat. She's in good form. She's bringing a present. The song Gloria by Van Morrison is playing. Uh, she picks up the phone in the boat when Tony's not there. It is Arena on the line. And she actually does a really good job here of knowing <laughs> to lie, uh, which is remarkable. I would, like, I would have thought that actually uh, she would have been like, who the hell are you? And I would have been like, who the hell are you? But no, she's like, no, I'm just uh, one of AJ's teachers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then Tony comes in and uh, admits then eventually that it was an old girlfriend, which is like a remarkably, I don't know, honest or stupid play from Tony Soprano. Like with the amount very of Very out lying, of character. Very out of character. The amount of lying he has done throughout this entire television show to actually come around and say, you know what, I'm going to tell the truth to, to, to this woman because he probably saw her as the one. He probably saw her as the, the most That's important not it. person he's in, in fucking, his... He's terrified of her. Like, come on. You know, when you look at Tony Soprano in that scene and you, you remember, this guy literally orders the death of so many people on a weekly basis and he is cowering at the bar because he's afraid of what she's going to say to him. I think he's genuinely terrified of her. I think he's terrified of Carmela as well is the, is the only thing. I think he's, he's terrified of his mother. I think he's, he's yeah. had no problem lying to every woman in his life for the entirety of his life. And I don't know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a really strange out of character moment and Gloria does not take it well. Obviously, uh, she shouts Merry Christmas as she throws his Christmas present out into the water and it's not the last thing that's going to be thrown in this episode. Like, I wonder, is that like a beautiful moment of foreshadowing from Steve Buscemi who, who directed this episode, by the way, and it's like, we need to show off this brilliant throwing hand here. Otherwise, it's just not going to make sense. <laughs> she has a piece of steak in her hand a little bit later on. And so that, that's, that's where we start. And it's after that that we get straight into the, the plot, the, the job that is at hand here. And Paulie is in the nail salon. That, that's where he, he spends his time. It's just a perfect opening place for this pristine version of Paulie Walnuts uh, to we exist. We go over the finish there. Yeah. <laughs> I think Terence Winters actually said he wanted him to be at his most manicured, his most pristine at, at the very start because it would be a slow dismantling of, of Paulie throughout. He's meant to be taking his, his mother to Social Security, I think. And Silvio has the flu. And Silvio, we don't see a lot of in this episode. And, I mean, this is a very interesting power struggle that exists between Paulie and maybe indirectly with Silvio about the fact that, you know, this guy's a captain and he's being told to go and get money. Why can't Chris just do it alone? It is, it is dishonorable to be asking Paulie to be doing such a thing. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? And that's, that comes back at the end with the, the, the... He doesn't trust him anymore, and he's right not to trust him because uh, he's a snake. Has he, already, has he already snaked him out at this point? Is Paulie already talking to Johnny Sack? Has that already happened, or does it begin I think that's around after. this time? I think it's Paul, after, but it's around the time, yeah. Uh, Paulie, uh, of all of them, uh, is the least loyal to Tony in many respects and yet might have the most reason to feel pissed off by how disrespected he is by Tony. The, the point that he makes about the money I made him and his father before him. Like, Paulie's an old man. We, we kind of forget that. Like, in this, I'd say he's late 50s, probably already. He wouldn't be terribly surprised if he touched 60 at this stage. Um, but it feels that way anyway. And he has obviously been around for multi-generations, making loads and loads of money. And here he is, the little piss boy for Sill. Like, mm. that does not fit well. What's, what, like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like good management for Tony to send him to do the gig in the first place. Yeah, but he's a fucking agent. He goes in and loses the plot over a docking station. Like, would you trust, would you trust someone like that? Like, that's my way I always felt about Paulie in that episode. Is like, oh my God, he's just going to cause you more hassle than he's worth. I think that there's a different subtext to the docking station, I think, anyways, because the guy's Russian. But it's from, it's, well, no, I, I think it's from the fact that he had to go and collect this thing. And he's already pissed off that he had to go. And now he's in this apartment trying to deal with this agent who's annoying him and his do universal docking station. He just loses the plot. Yeah, also, but like, I mean, the, the, like, we'll get to that in, in a moment. Like, I, I do think the sort of the Russian jokes, the, the, the sort of how dare you even speak back to me. Uh, you immigrant sort of thing is it, sort of the, the feeling I get off Paulie and Paulie's like a deeply racist person he's a deeply bigoted man um, like, and, and it is, this is the, the start a very significant moment in the breakdown in his relationship between himself and Tony because it is as you say Ger, after this season at the end of the season when he goes to jail and we all know as he, when he goes to jail that's when he starts picking up the phone 
uh, and uh, and starts ratting on on Tony and and Ralph and and what's actually happening uh, behind closed doors. The other storyline in this, which I think you pointed to already, is is Meadow and Jackie Junior. So we get oh, uh, af- oh well, sorry, uh, right before that actually we get to that in just a moment. But right before that actually we get our first uh, side of Melfi's office uh, and it's couples counselling. We've got uh, Carmela who voices her concern about Meadow dating Jackie. But Tony is saying that the counselling is really helping. Uh, Carmela saying, we haven't been fighting. Counselling. Yeah. <laughs> counselling is great. Yeah. And uh, Melfi's like, well, this is great. I'm doing my job. You're both happy. Brilliant. Uh, nothing to worry about here. Then we get to, to Meadow and Jackie. They're playing Scrabble. Jackie's like, OPK. OPK. Is that Spanish? What, what is that? And the best he can manage is ass. Like, it is, it is the most brilliant example of what an idiot this guy is and Meadow almost coming to that realization as well where there is this slow drip bit of information that's like oh my god my boyfriend is a complete fool I did not know this and, and it's great like even, even as she's battling terrible flu there's flu everywhere in, in Jersey at, at the moment there is, there is a, a mini pandemic going around Jersey during this episode everybody's got the flu but like, she is slowly coming to the realization that, that Jackie's an idiot and Jackie's like you got the flu you want some ecstasy and uh, that, that's kind of like where that sort of first introduction to that relationship ends. As he says, like, I got to go let you get some sleep. Uh, and when he says, uh, we'll finish the game of Scrabble tomorrow. So those, those are the sort of first early indications we get of the other stuff that's going to happen here outside of burying a Russian. It's a real, um, like if you took that script and just took out the stuff about them trying to kill a Russian, it's a real just family drama slash comedy episode like you could easily just apply this to another series really really easily that's what I always find really shocking about this episode that people always pick it as the best because I feel like it's so out of step for everything else actually I think you've you've got to go back and rewatch it because it it is it is just a family drama it's just a family business is murder like that's, yeah. that's why this is so successful and that's why it lasts it's because it like uh, you know, on the on the Talking Sopranos podcast, they keep talking about um, the Honeymooners and those kind of American series from the 50s and 60s that David Chase would have grown up watching and kind of just absorbing by osmosis. These kitchen sink family dramas where not very much happens. Like, it's just about the relationship. Like, there's loads of episodes given over to how difficult it is to parent teenage children. And, like, first time I watched it, all that stuff went over my head. Watching it now, I'm like, oh my god, this is fucking, this is so amazing. <laughs> yeah. This is like, ah, oh, this is so awkward. But my insides kind of convulse with like pain at watching what's what's what I'm going through and what's ahead of me, and mm. all that stuff. The start is like, get to the killing, get to the killing. Whereas, <laughs> like, um, I, I think that the strength of it is actually it. It's not out of keeping. Certainly, when you go back and you watch it, you see it that like. Obviously, the relationship with his mother is the whole pretext for the entire first season. And uh, again, that's the magic of it is that it's actually about family relationships as opposed to how do the tectonic plates of one mafia family when they yeah, put yeah. up against another one. Um, and, and also, it's hilarious. The whole thing is fucking hilarious. Like even the, the bad words that he comes up with, they were they were funny and of a theme and like, it's and kind of obvious, and they they're self aware of how obvious they are, and that's I think what makes the the thing funny. Without question, it's uh, you mentioned there some of the stuff that David Chase was inspired by. There's a, a brilliant oral history on TheRinger.com that people should check out, and he says even like that thing about the van was in his mind since the days of watching I Spy. I always thought it would be a good scene between them if they were trapped somewhere and all they had to eat was ketchup packets of mustard, <laughs> and then the show came up and it was perfect. So there, the, these writers have these concepts in their head that they actually just shoehorn into the Sopranos which indicates how universal the show is you can literally have a, a, a romance theme you can have a drama theme you can have a violence theme it can be anything and it's like this will fit perfectly for the Sopranos let's put aside time and do your best idea on whatever genre you've got going um, but it is like this is a comedy episode like that pr- predominantly for me and like that brings us on to the Russian's apartment which we've already touched on like even standing outside the door we know that this is going to be gold. Chris is like, Russians, they're not all bad. And then Paulie mentions, you know, how about the Cuban missile crisis? <laughs> Cocksuckers moved nuclear warheads into Cuba, pointed them right at us. And then Chris just with a cracking line. That was real. I saw that movie. I thought it was bullshit. Uh, and then, <laughs> then Valerie's at the door and he's like, who is this? And they're like, KGB. 
it's just like these, this, these constant uh, jokes about Russia throughout. They get offered a drink when they come in. Valerie's clearly a little bit tired and emotional. He's in his pajamas. He's been drinking. And <laughs> the universal remote just becomes this key plot point. <laughs> and Paulie, when he sees the universal remote, he's like, you probably wipe your ass barehanded before you came to this country. Just this, this taste that he has that somebody can have an entertainment center, an entertainment system, a universal remote. And he smashes it. And then he gets a little bit of lip and it smashes a bottle over his head. Like it is so bigoted and grim. But because it's Paulie, you're kind of like, this is hilarious. Like, I, I was listening back to that Talking Sopranos, the epic long two hours and 56 minutes that it is for this episode. And I love that they said that they weren't playing any of this for laughs. Like, he actually says we didn't play any of this for laughs. And you're like, how did you go into that scene not thinking that all of that was absolutely hilarious? Like, they were really serious shooting all those scenes, which I think just makes that even better, even on that afterwards, you know? I do wonder about how much um, that was like, that's the edit that comes out afterwards. You tell them all oh, this is really serious and, and they take themselves so seriously as characters. Like, uh, you know, Paulie obviously is so funny because he takes himself so seriously that if they had played it for last, it would have been like, you know, yeah. a, a bit uh, Benny Hill. But in the end, it's like, and I don't know, certainly, I don't know if I, I don't know if I found it as hilarious because it's shocking. The first time you see it, They've just gone to fucking pick up money, which is sitting there. They literally walk in, pick the money up and leave. And this is the most boring scene in television history. Like, man goes, picks up money, leaves. And you're like, well, what was the fucking point of that? But actually, it spirals into this chaos. Um, mm. and That's I- why it's funny. Like, you always get to the end of those scenes and go, how, 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 how is he dead? <laughs> but I, I don't think it was funny the first time I watched it. I, I don't think I just, I remember thinking, oh, what's going on? Like, a, a chaos and terror whereas when you know that this is all going to end up all that stuff becomes and I think that's why it stands the rewatching. I I think that's why it stands up the rewatching. I'm not sure like I do think yeah. it is like it is those moments of comedy that you shouldn't be laughing at you, you should almost feel guilty at laughing at it. like I mean when I rewatched it it is a terrible thing to say but like Paulie obviously strangles him with the lamppost like, it gets more grim and then he's like I crapped his I cracked his windpipe uh, that's it for him and then Chris is like, what are you, a doctor now? <laughs> and I was like, that's just, that's just absolutely hilarious. What a, what a brilliant line. Uh, and like, I think the, the point you make about Paulie and about this, maybe not having an idea how funny it is while they're filming is true, true the, the, the context of Paulie. Because like, people on the TV show say Paulie would, well, Tony Sirico would show up. He would go in to do his makeup get his outfit fitted and he would come back out and he would be the exact same person. Like, I mean, there, there's one person who goes in and comes out the exact same person and it is him. Like, I mean, he's obviously got a bit of a, a gangster background himself, has been arrested numerous times throughout his life. Tony Sirico was the, the person who had to make the, the smallest jump between actor and they talk about as well in that podcast about the um, sending his production assistant back for pillows. And yeah. I was like, that is Polly. That they he, like the pillows were so hard in the hotel they were staying in where they were filming that he sent somebody all the way back to New York to get proper pillows. I was like, so he is just Polly. He's just a character. <laughs> yeah, four or five hour round trip is is what they say. And like the, the the kind of other point on him is that not only did he take himself so seriously, he just took this craft so incredibly seriously as well. There are legendary stories of the piss up that occurred throughout the filming of Pine Barrens because obviously it was in the middle of winter, light was pretty limited. Paulie did not get involved in that sort of stuff. Tony, I should say, did not get involved in, in that sort of stuff whatsoever. He was fresh as a daisy every day while PAs were puking in bins and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, look, uh, the, the, the question that they keep asking on, on that show is, uh, you know, how did you, how did you channel this? And like, he didn't do any channeling. He was like, <laughs> This guy's me. I'm just going to be. No, like he would always fight. You know, oh, my guy would never be a rat. Like, well, you know, and the writers will decide that. So this is going to work here. But, um, so I can't believe you haven't rewatched this. So you're not inspired now, having watched this one to go back. Like, yeah, if one of the, one of the great pleasures in in your televisual life will be to sit down and rewatch from start to finish, not skipping, and even watching the credits most nights, the full. Sopranos from start to finish again. It's brilliant. 
No, it, like Sopranos and The Wire are tied for me as the best series of all time that I'm obsessed with. I've never rewatched both of them. Part of it is fear because I loved them so much. And I'm afraid that if I go back, they're not going to have that same impact. Like I know, obviously, they're amazing series and I'm not going to feel that. But I also need to carve out a bit of my life where I just dedicated to Sopranos because it is it becomes like a full time job when you're watching that show. You're so invested in it. Mm. You're, they do such a good job of creating characters that are dickheads that you absolutely love that it's impossible to turn it off. Like I, when I watched, because I, I, I was watching it live after like series four, I think maybe. And I watched series one to three. And I now I was up till three and four o'clock in the morning flying through episode after episode after episode. And I don't want to watch it. I want to like, <laughs> you know, dedicate the time to actually watch it properly. But no, I... I definitely have to go back. And do an episode a night. Like, and that's, you know, you yeah. could just ration it. But uh, it's really worth it because it definitely, I would say it improves as opposed to most stuff you watch again, second time, you're like, oh, here's the gag. But actually, there's so much, like, again, I think it's because the plot is so breakneck in so many of the episodes and you're desperate to find out what's going to happen with these characters because yeah. they're so well drawn that actually you missed all the stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the second time, it's it's better now would even argue that the third viewing is the one where you're like fully relaxed into everything and all of the humor and all of the knowing and the winks that the, the cast are having and that the crew is having and that the writers have, have just little the, the um the little surprises that they've offered you it just gets better and better yeah, yeah. and one thing on the prime sorry i'm just afraid is it like it it is so standalone as well like you could totally dip into that episode and there was a few times when I paused it and was like, Gloria's mental, isn't she? She's the one that goes absolutely mad. And Mick was like, yeah, yeah, that's her. So I was like doing all these checking all the way through. And I was like, he's dead now, isn't he? Oh, he ran him out, didn't he? Like, so you're checking those things. But you don't have to know that. It's beautifully mm-hmm. contained from start to finish. It is one episode you can actually drop in, watch it, and not have to know anything else that's going on in the series, you know? And your view of those characters changes on the rewatch as well. Like, I've never done the full rewatch, but I found watching Glory in particular quite sad watching Pine Barrens again, whereas at the first time I was like, well, this is mad, really. What, well, like, what's kind of, what's Tony playing at here? What's, what's her deal? And it's actually just really tragic when you're rewatching it a second time, the, the whole uh, dissolution of that relationship. So anyway, let's, let's get to Pine Barrens, or let's get the transition between the, the, the lamppost and, uh, and, and the forest. Uh, Polly phones up Tony, tells him that the prick... Carry the body out in, in old school... In a car. 1970s movie. They're looking around going, nobody's going to know what this is. <laughs> this, this 12 foot carpet because he's so tall. It's like. But there's like the bend in the thing as well. Yeah. Like you can totally <laughs> see that it's like, it's not garbage. It is. It is very much a human. They shove him in to the van. Paulie tells Tony that he got sucker punched and there's kind of annoying look from Chris. Right. It's kind of like, okay, this is how we're playing it. Tony's obviously fuming. He's in a hotel room with Gloria. She's giving him that card saying, I'm feeling a little sheepish. And then she invites Tony over to dinner that night at her place. I don't know why, why are they still using hotel rooms? Does she not live on her own? Like, I understand why they can't go to Tony's house, but that's just uh, one question I would have. Maybe a hotel is just more, more romantic. I don't know. These are like little potholes that we might be able to fill in. It kind of happens out of nowhere as well, because you think they're finished and then they're in the hotel room. You're like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's a bit of a weird scene. We then start to get little details about Chris saying he didn't eat breakfast that morning. Paulie says he'll go to Atlantic City on the way back. And then we go back to Melfi's office again, but this time Carmela's not there. And it's an interesting decision by Tony to tell Melfi that he's seeing Gloria. Like, is it just pure bravado, do we think? No, it's, it's, to, it's to make her jealous. Yeah, fair. It's, it's uh, 100% making her jealous. Look what I've got, and it's all. Ah, look what you helped me get, and it's better than you. And I'm going to use it to make you feel uncomfortable. And obviously, I really want you, but I can't have you. So here's your proxy that I'm taking. And, uh, you know, I want it, so I'm going to have it. And you can't stop me. Tony's such a prick. Like, I mean, she's asking him at some point in that conversation, does she seem happy to you? Like, Melfi knows what's going on inside this woman's head. She knows the trouble that she's had. And she's like, does she seem happy to you? And within two seconds, Tony quickly brings it back around to how happy the whole thing makes him. Like when you're trying to find some sort of redeeming character to not just paint him as purely selfish, it's really hard to do that when when, when you're looking at this. Yeah, it's the, the ease and the way he lies all the time for me is just unbelievable. But I love Melfi. Watching that back actually was, you know, this kind of knowing 
ness from her of oh, this is going to go tits up now very mm. very rapidly and you really see that like she's really struggling to hold back in going this is not a good idea for you that really make him more determined anyway so and she, she knowingly asks the question who she reminds you of and he's like maybe she reminds me of you smart sexy italian tony uh Absolute lad soprano. Uh, we move on to the Pine Barrens then. The Russian is alive. Uh, he uh, has somehow survived his uh, windpipe getting cracked by, uh, by Paulie. Uh, and they bring him inside the forest, tell him to, to dig why, his own why, hole. Why, why do they not just go, hey, listen, we'll bring you back to the city. It's okay. This has been a big mistake. We didn't mean to kill you. You're back from the dead. We're getting out of jail here. <laughs> I tell you what, I'll give you a grand. We'll make this all go away, right? Instead, they're like, this shit plan we have, we can now, we, let's just go and, and I'm, going to take, I'm going to take you out of your bindings just because. It's like uh, best Bond movie shit escape ever. <laughs> and then he's like muttering to himself in Russia he's like this is warm you think the cold bothers me uh, while the two boys are like how far is it to Atlantic City from here and then boom <laughs> shovel over the hedge the Russian runs away and they don't see which way he went and I think it's Chris who says maybe it's like when he cut the head off a chicken and they keep running is when after they shoot him and uh, they see some sort of blood uh, it's just <laughs> it, it is just a, a comedy of errors and um, we get, we get then uh, more of a shot of the, the Soprano home, which is which is always like these are the little nuggets you're looking for throughout the series, like especially when it comes to Anthony Junior, like uh, Coffee and TV, but blurs on the television, and he's just kind of like eavesdropping on his dad's conversation. And you can hear Tony absolutely tearing in to Paulie, and then like it comes back to them, and they're deciding what are they going to do now after Tony's given out to them on the phone, and they're like, let's just go. The squirrels will eat him. Uh, I think is what uh, Chris suggested. And <laughs> they start to move back towards the car. And Chris is like, are you sure it's that way, Polly?" And Polly's like, four years in the army, kid. We just follow our own footsteps. <laughs> and it's like, yes, <laughs> that is what it teaches you. <laughs> it's Hansel and Gretel. It's yeah. Hansel and Gretel getting lost in the woods. Like it's, uh, it's every, every single one of the fairy tales that terrorized you as a child. And, and everybody's worst nightmare, being left alone with like a rampaging murderer <laughs> bent on vengeance who's like 12 feet tall and killed 18 Rasputin. Slovakians. Yeah. <laughs> a Rasputin like, line is just, I forgot about it. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is like, uh, yeah, there is this like sort of horror film quality to it. But like we've seen this a million times before in a various, in various different things where it's like, oh, I recognize that point. We're walking around in circles. And we do get that after one of the ad breaks. But there's also this tension that briefly exists in Tony's life for a moment because he's got to go to Slava. He's got to drop off money. And he's sitting there. His daughter's in the room. He sees a gun on Slava's desk. He drinks some vodka. He sees the army photograph. He's getting more and more nervous. And then he realizes he's okay. But obviously Slava starts to describe the fact that he was like a brother to him, closer than a brother. But now he's a tragic figure. He talks about his alcohol, his drugs, his family issues. Uh, and then he, of course, tells him that in Chechnya, he saved his life. I would do anything for him, Slava says, of Valerie. And then Tony picks up the phone. And while the, all these conversations, by the way, are completely hampered by terrible phone signal, which was just a brilliant idea by whoever came up with that. But Tony then has this eternal phone conversation, which is, which, this is the best part of the episode, right? This is the, this is the key part of the episode. <laughs> Tony's saying, it's a bad connection, so I'm going to talk fast. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 <laughs> Chechen rebels, single-handed. And then Paulie's like, get the fuck out of here. And Tony's like, yeah, nice. He was with the Interior Ministry. Guy's got some kind of Russian Green Beret. This guy cannot come back to tell the story, you understand? And Paulie's like, I hear you. And then their, their connection goes and Paulie turns around to Christopher. You're not going to believe this. He kills 16 Czechoslovakians. The guy was an interior decorator. And then Christopher just brings the house down with the, his house looked like shit line, which is for me, I think the, the greatest comedy exchange ever in The Sopranos. That right there is the peak. I mean, his house was like, far nicer than fucking Christopher's or Paulie's for a start. Like, he had that nice uh, entertainment system and the nice rug on the wall. Like, uh, it is sensational. It is. And it, it actually gets better and better and better every time you watch it too. We, we then start to see the kind of like slow dissolution of, of Paulie. Uh, like, they, they spot what they think is the, the guy. They run after him. They shoot a deer and then Paulie falls and loses his shoe. And this is like a, a really interesting behind the scenes moment because Steve Buscemi said that Paulie always said his hair was really particular about it and would never let anybody mess up his hair. 
And Terence Winter said that if you wanted to get Tony to do something, you had to tell him he was either going to be really scary or really funny. And this is a quote from Winter. He said, Tony, you will be so fucking funny for the audience who see you. They've never seen anything except looking like a movie star with your hair messy. So he took two fingers and messed up three hairs. And I was like, Tony, come on, come on. He's like, all right, you motherfucker. And he put his hands through his hair and he completely messed up his hair. I said, thank you so much. I turned to Steve Buscemi and I said, roll the camera, get this on fucking film. It is never going to happen again. And like, we, 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 I did not appreciate this at the time that he was such a stickler for how he looked and his appearance. And uh, I mean, th- these are the lengths. These are the lengths people go to to produce good television. He messed up his own hair. They, um, there's another bit later on where they have to show the interior of his apartment. And I don't know if you remember, but like he, he has like the same pair of shoes about 15 times. They're the white slip on shoes. And they had no idea what the inside of his apartment would look like. And they were like, uh, and they kept building it and building it and building it. And everyone was like, that doesn't really look like it. And then they had the genius idea to go and look at his apartment. And they came back and they basically copied his apartment. And so what you see when he's putting up the painting of Tony as uh, Napoleon, uh, that is apparently a very similar to uh, Tony Tirico's actual apartment. Because like, you know, why change? Art imitating life. He is the, the most unintentionally funny human being, I think, that's ever existed. Like, I, 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 I just can't get over how akin to the real character Sirico is. Like, just nothing to do with the, the, the gangster background whatsoever. I'm just talking about pure personality. Like, there is, Terrence Winter did an interview with, with GQ, and he said that if he had a 6 a.m. call, he would wake up at 3 o'clock. Then he would comb his hair to get it into the shape he wanted. Then he would spray hairspray in the air and let this spray mist down on his head, much like snowflakes. And he would do that repeatedly until it formed a protective shield around his hair that was sort of impervious to wind and the elements. And I swear he could hit him on the head with a lead pipe, and the pipe would bend. Like, I love this. I love this detail that we're getting about Sirico as people are reflecting on Pine Barrens. We get a, a brief uh, look back at uh, Jackie April doing uh, Jackie April Jr. things, um, telling Meadow he can't come over after this point because he needs to look after his mother's car. As he's like a, applying aftershave. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning. He's so fucking stupid. He is so fucking stupid. Like, come up with a better lie. Oh, I got the flu off you too. Mm, or I've got food poisoning or something. Anything. Rather than I'm taking my mum. Yeah, my friend's a mechanic. It's the only time he can look at it. At half nine. Like. Uh, let's, let's, just, let's just tie this up because uh, we'll, we'll just skip on to how this storyline ends. Like Meadow then goes to confront Jackie with her friend a little bit later on. She's like, I can't believe you did this to me. I loved you. <laughs> and uh, the girl that uh, Jackie Jr. is with is like, yeah, you better leave. What the fuck is the matter with you? Jackie turns around to her. That's Tony Soprano's daughter. Oh, what do I care, asshole? And then that's the way that that whole thing dissolves. It's like just... This, this guy. I, I really hope he's such a like he's such a thick that I really hope that she was just looking for an excuse to break up with him, mm. as opposed to telling him that he's just fucking thick. I don't like, think so. I think <laughs> no. I think he was. She was fairly forgiving of him uh, when she's talking to her mates later on in the episode. She's like he was. No, like when she beside the scrabble board and she's like, really. I, I was really hoping at that stage she's like, yeah, he's just, he's just really thick. I have to break up with him. He's not mm. on the same level. Uh, I think she's only she's only coming into her own maturity in this part of it as well. Like she isn't the um, she isn't the woman she becomes at the end of the show. Yeah, she's still super immature. What, what when's the funeral? That um, it when's the funeral where she storms off and runs across the road drunk? Not Jackie Juno's Juno's funeral, is it? Can't remember. The next when, series four is it? Is that when, next? Um, no, I think Jackie Junior is only like is the only. Three more episodes? Or yeah, he he's, he's, isn't he the next episode, I'm pretty sure. Amor Fu is the next episode. And that's, um, that's, the, that's Gloria Trillo taking Carmela for a ride in the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Mrs. Soprano, here's the Mercedes you might like flying. Through. Nice ring you've got there. It's like, oh, oh my God. I really thought she was going to kill her. Like. <laughs> or them both. Let's like, like, sorry. Let, well, let's do this. Let's do Gloria's house. The, this this scene that uh, is astonishing. Like, I mean, obviously, preceding that, Tony's like lying to Carmela. I mean, it, it, Carmela's father's got glaucoma, and um, that line like, is that line is <laughs> that line is one of the best in the whole thing. My father's got glaucoma. 
And that's like, yes, I am saying coffee. I'm sorry, yes. He's got glaucoma. Like she's completely using her father's eye condition, which she didn't know about herself until five seconds ago to make sure that Tony stays for fucking coffee. And, they, and he is staying for fucking coffee because of the glau fucking coma. <laughs> I love the way they're all looking at him in that scene as well. Like there's that few minutes where he's trying to decide what to do, and they're all she's just standing there, motionless, and the two of them sitting at the table staring. It's brilliant. We know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're going to go get out of here and leave us, but my father's got glaucoma. Never. (laughs) They like just cursing right in front of Carmela's mom, and just you can just see her in the back of the shot. She's absolutely appalled by by the phone conversation that's going. But Tony does manage to get out of there. He gets out of there eventually. He uh, he gets to go for his uh, midnight. At midnight, yeah. Three hours late. You were supposed to be here three hours ago. She says she's uh, drinking and smoking when Tony arrives. She's pretty pissed off to say the least. Calls him an inconsiderate prick. Lands the greatest like the uppercut is obviously the stake. But the greatest jab here is if I wanted to be treated like shit, I'd get married. Just such a great <laughs> line from Gloria. Uh, they, 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 things progress a little bit more we, we go back over to, to Pine Barrens for a while we come back to the house and uh, Paulie's calling Tony again telling him to get out of there why does Tony keep picking up his phone is uh, the first thing I would ask uh, or why doesn't he have it on silence he keeps getting disturbed in these really tender situations it seems so Chris, he's worried about Slava going to kill him I presume <laughs> that's what I always thought it's a different, different era Owen you answered your phone when it rang <laughs> I, I think he should be more worried about Gloria killing him be quite honest with you. I think that is a greater threat to his life than anything that might actually come out of, of Pine Barrens at this point. It's interesting though, he, he's decided to act when Paulie tells him that Chris has hurt his head. Like, I'm not sure if there's much to be read into that, but it seems that he, he cares way more about Chris than he does about Paulie. Everybody knows oh, that. I think, but... I think he only sent Christopher to keep an eye on Paulie because he thought some shit like this might happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's actually a good shout. There's just a, a complete lack of trust there between, between Tony and Paulie. Like, so Gloria, obviously, we can see in the background as, as Tony's taking this call, she is very stressed out. Uh, she's like, oh, here, you're going to leave now. Here, take this, you piece of shit. Take your fucking dinner. And boom, headshot. And then it's a smirk from Tony, which is almost the most callous part of this. And then Gloria smashes everything. I fucking hate you as Tony goes out of the house. If he doesn't smirk, if he doesn't like rub the salt in the wound there a little bit, Maybe it doesn't get as bad as it eventually does, but I like I don't know, that was just a really powerful reaction from Tony Soprano, that just little smile. It's like the, it, it, there was something callous about it, I thought. Um, like the, the, the whole story of the stake is, is interesting as well, because people aren't really owning up about who threw it. People say Steve Buscemi threw the stake. Yeah, yeah. People are saying uh, Annabella Sciorra through the stake nobody's quite owning up to it I think it was she's some arm if she threw that stake like <laughs> yeah it, it was only due to be a prop stake by all accounts a sponge dipped in a sort of liquid that, that would look like I don't know gravy or blood or whatever was, the stake was cooked in and uh, it, it just wouldn't throw it just wouldn't didn't have the proper aerodynamics to hit James Gandolfini in the head so they had to get a proper piece of meat and apparently Steve Buscemi got a headshot straight off the bat and, uh, and that was it <laughs> Uh, that scene annoys me at the end and this is so stupid but every time I watch that scene I go she's going to have to clean up all of that now like what was the fucking point of that <laughs> mental illness I mean, that's the, yeah I like everybody... she's not in control obviously but every single but... time I look at her trash that table I'm like ah oh, it's only you cleaning that up in Goodfellas um, I've forgotten Jennifer Melfi's name in real life for a second what's going on what's her name in real life uh, Melfi uh, oh. Lorraine Bracco Lorraine Bracco Lorraine Bracco has a great Karen. line uh, <laughs> as Karen she's a great line in uh, Goodfellas about when whenever the FBI or the cops came to arrest the mafia wives they would always spit the, the wives would spit and I'm like you're spitting on your own home why are you doing that <laughs> I was like never made any sense to me and it's like the same it's like it makes no sense she's tearing up her own her own house but her own house is no longer a place that she feels uh, holds any hope and that's why she goes and brings Mrs. Soprano on a joyride in the next episode <laughs> uh, yeah like it's it's phenomenal it's like that that whole thread is, is brilliant like it is the one thing you kind of miss from going back and rewatching just a singular episode I think the Gloria thing is so much bigger than one episode whereas I think with Paulie and Chris there is just so much contained within this which is is so satisfying even if you're just watching Pine Barrens if you just want to spend an hour trying to get something good out of the Sopranos I do think I do think Gloria like I mean the next episode is just so so good um, if you go back to 
the forest. Uh, things have got very, very dark at this point. Obviously, it's it's well into into the new day. Paulie's talking about potentially losing a foot. Chris is talking about potentially eating some of those poisonous berries. They spot the truck. They get into the truck. This, by the way, is done in a studio. It, like the the story goes that they weren't expecting snow and they got snow. So therefore, everything in the forest is real. Peak winter, upstate New York. Things are properly freezing. But this is in a cozy studio. So this is really good acting because the boys look like they're absolutely freezing in there. But there's also like this general air of paranoia once they get into the van. The, sort of every sentence is ended with a sort of, if he's alive, which he ain't. You know, he's definitely not out there. And then the show that does food better than anything else, the boys find ketchup packets. Uh, <laughs> mix them with relish is, is Paulie's recommendation. And I, I, I just love this. This is almost the lowest of the low. These, these, these men who eat and dine on such a grand level are reduced to eating ketchup packets. Chris saying earlier in the day, he's hungry. I, I, I love this. I mean, I, I think the relationship between the actors and the food is, is a key part of The Sopranos. And like, I, I mean, this is, this is like a, a really lovely nugget of, you know what, screw you. Suck on your ketchup packet. You deserve this. There's at least two Sopranos cookbooks. Uh, there's probably more. <laughs> I, I know this because I own both of them. And, uh, <laughs> of course the ketchup, the Mixing the ketchup packets with relish uh, recipe does not appear in either. Ah, that's desperately that's disappointing. disappointing. What about Gloria's steak? <laughs> uh, English broil. I'd never heard of it before. Neither have I. I had to look it up. It's, um, it's where you cook the steak and cut it in thin slices. That's it. Like, right. the, the Yanks have a name for everything. Yeah, they, they certainly do. Uh, like, I mean, Terence Winter said that he got uh, slapped in, a fa- in the face with a piece of London broil in a previous relationship of his. And he was like, mental note must uh, do that for something. And like, this is what I mean. All the writers just have all these like lived experiences of crazy shit. And they're like, yeah, this works. Like, I mean, like, wow, this is great. I can use this at some point. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. My longest ever relationship broke up and ended in tears. I can use that and try and win an Emmy. This is fantastic. This is absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I knew that there's a friend of ours that um, once when she was very heavily pregnant at I think about eight months threw a frozen ham at her husband's head <laughs> from across the kitchen. That's uh, that is a true story. That's attempted murder. That's too violent for the Sopranos, I dare say. Uh, I remember the, being like, I must must remember that one. Frozen ham. <laughs> the, the the more they suck on uh, the ketchup packets, the the angrier Paulie's getting. It's less paranoia, more anger from from Paulie. Uh, like calling it fucking bullshit. It was Silvio's money. He should have got it himself. Cocksucker got the sniffles and we were stuck out here. Uh, you shouldn't have hit the guy, said, uh, said Chris. And then Paulie starts to get a little bit deeper about things. Have you any idea about the money I've made for Tony over the years? Or his old man before him? He's living like a fucking king now. And all I hear about is that cocksucker Ralphie. And that's where the jealousy comes in. Like I, I completely overlooked this when he is ratting on Ralphie to John down the line. He, like, he just hates the relationship that Ralphie and and Tony have built up and, and we get to see it in this instance. We then have uh, Tony going to rescue them. He has got his stake to the face. He goes to Junior's place because he wants to get Bobby who will drive him down to Pine Barrens, calls over to Junior's house and uh, Junior starts sniffing around. He's like, what have you been eating? Steak? You just saw it. Like, <laughs> it's just perfect. And then Bobby comes in, dresses as Elmer Fudd. Tony starts pissing his whole laughing. As you say, Jared, like, the, the story is that he was holding a big three foot dildo and that is why Tony Soprano uh, started laughing as well like they'd obviously done this so many times and the, the outfit wasn't doing it for him but I remember watching this the first time I'm not sure is it Tony's reaction or is it my actual reaction but Bobby dresses Elmer Fudd is way funnier than a man holding a three foot dildo like, but if you're not expecting it a man walking around the corner with a three foot dildo is pretty funny I, I guess, <laughs> I guess it, may, it may trump uh, high vis jackets um, but like <laughs> Junior, obviously, is seeing this for the first time. He manages to keep it together. But I just love Bobby. He's like, I got my limits too, Junior. Uh, so they go they go out in the car, which was almost a deleted scene. And uh, Bobby says to, to Tony, one time we went hunting, we saw a sign that said, bear left. So we went home. And it's just <laughs> silence. No reaction whatsoever. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy they didn't delete it. I'm so happy they didn't. I, lo- I love that little scene. There's a little touchy moment about touching moment about uh, Bobby looking after Junior and Tony just being so thankful for him for doing that. And uh, then we're almost at the point where the lads get saved, but not before Paulie has a tic-tac. And I think this for me is like the, this is a key scene. I may be reading into this too much, but 
So the brief rundown for people who haven't rewatched it. Paulie has a Tic Tac. Chris is like, you had Tic Tacs all along. Uh, and Chris says, at least he won't die hungry. And he goes out and fetches some poisonous berries. But then he actually goes around the van, starts pissing by Paulie's window. And it's after a moment of time, it's like, fuck you, Paulie. And then Paulie's like, don't make me pull rank on you. And then he's like, fuck you right now. We're just two assholes lost in the woods. Things ratchet up quite a bit at this point. And on first watch, you're not sure if this is real or if this is fake. And to be honest with you, on rewatch, I'm not sure if this is real or this is fake. When after he pulls a gun, he's like, all the shit we've been through, do you think I'd really kill you? And then they're like, yeah, I do. Uh, and then Chris just starts laughing. Uh, I'm not sure about the laugh, to be honest. I think Chris might well have uh, believed that that, that death oh, was yeah. going to, to, to happen. But also, the laugh is the laugh is that we're fucked now. Like, but you would absolutely kill me. And I and he's right. He's absolutely right. In 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 the dark in a car, someone will smother him. That's what happens. Like, yeah. he he is correct. And I think the foreshadowing is completely like that. I don't know if David Chase knew that that's exactly how they were going to kill him at that point. But I I wouldn't be surprised if the idea gets inserted into their heads is like. Late at night, dark, one of his buddies is going to do this to him because that's exactly what he expected. You know, they all know this his is end, end is badly. awful. Like, his end, his end was one that really affected me because I felt like there was kind of no reason for it or something. Like, it's really unexplained. Do you not think so? Uh, well, because he was back on the gear and yeah, he, he felt like he couldn't trust him. Like, he couldn't trust him. You know, yeah. he'd, he'd done everything for him at that stage. Like, you know, if you're if you're on Team Tony, this is now a liability, and uh, that you're trained to think like Tony thinks at that point. Going, here's an opportunity. Everybody's going to say it's tragedy. Tony will get loads of people trying to be nice to him because his nephew has been killed in this horrific accident, which he has heroically survived. Like, it's a massive win for. Bear in mind, Tony's a psychopath. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no ifs, ands, or buts like, around it. It's, um, or is a sociopath worse than a psychopath? Because a psychopath has no ability to stop it. I, I, I can never tell the difference, but um, mm, I think yeah. it's a key scene. Oh, without question. You wait till I'm asleep and then you'll choke me. So then he'll only have your version, is a quote from Chris. And like, that, yeah. is, that just has to be foreshadowing. Like, th- there is always the sense that the Sopranos writers kind of made shit up on the fly a good bit. Like Steve Buscemi says that he was supposed to have two seasons and David Chase meets him and is like, yeah, sorry, but Tony B is gone after one season, man. And they, they kind of make shit up on, on the fly. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to know. You'd like, like it, if this was Breaking Bad, for example, you'd be like, oh, that's definitely foreshadowing. It was all plans. And I wonder if well, the writers get enough credit. Well, I think that they, they go through this bit and later on when it's like, well, how are we going to kill Christopher? We've three episodes left. What are we going to do? It's like, well, what in the past has happened where Christopher has spoken about his own death? Like, mm. you know, obviously the end and the scene and the boat where they're talking about sometimes you don't even hear it. Like, this is all a play, right? It's, I think it's far less uh, foreshadowing is like, we're going to write this in into his future. It's more like looking back and going, what have we said in the past that would be consistent now that we could do? But it's so brilliant. We then get to a point where, as you mentioned earlier, the car is gone when they get rescued. And it's like, what if it was the guy? Uh, and, and like, I, I love this about The Sopranos that n- not everything gets resolved because that's real life. Sometimes mysteries just happen. So what do we of think course, here? Of course it was the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck else is out in the pine barrel <laughs> disposing of bodies apart from the two guys in the body that they didn't kill? In the freezing cold in like three foot of snow. <laughs> Who might be able to track because he was actually a Green Beret. Yeah. It's a good point. And what do we think? We just think Valerie just didn't show up anymore. He, where did he go then after that? Would he not want to get his revenge on the two boys? I don't know. I mean, the, you heard that the, they were about to stick him in, um, in a scene where he would turn around and have half his head missing. Like, essentially lobotomized, but um, somebody made the fatal error of saying, oh yeah, the audience is going to love that. And David Chase went, fuck the audience and <laughs> took it out. That would have been so uh, stupid. Yeah, but like as well as that, like I watched um, a couple of interviews with him over the last week with David Chase, and the amount of times he's asked about the Russian, like, <laughs> you would be at the point in the end of the series where you're just like, oh, I don't, I don't care what happens. Like, just leave it out. You're not going to satisfy the audience with that anyway. But I actually think it, he is right in what he's saying. A lot of those things aren't tied up, and 
it's it's like when everyone lost their mind at the end of Inception as well. Like, what the hell happened? Like, you don't have to know everything. Everything doesn't have to have a conclusion. Mm. And that's fine. I don't know why it just sits so badly with people that they have to know what happens to the Russian. Yeah. I mean, uh, the car was missing. He escaped. <laughs> Maybe he died in hospital, but he certainly took a car. He yeah. got his money back. Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> bought, bought a new universal remote sitting, sitting there in, uh, in his studio with his entertainment system yeah I don't know maybe he thought Valerie had sent him and so he didn't want to go back to Valerie maybe he would be like worried that I don't know but like the Boy Scout story I think is really funny he's like I think he just starts uh, David Chase starts trotting out that story about the Boy Scouts just to get people off his back but two Boy Scouts find him they somehow find ID he ends up getting sent back to Russia you're like you're just making this up on the fly. This doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that was Terence Winter's theory, or that was his idea. And that almost made it to air. Like, uh, Chase says that he had to really fought, fight, fight him on, on, on this whole concept that, that Terence Winter had. It was like, yeah, Boy Scouts, a uh, chunk of his brain missing, goes back to Russia, convalescence. Oh, I thought it was Chase. Uh, it and really Chase, feels like he's just making it up on the fly. Like. Completely. It's, it's like some weird fan fiction that might have uh, emanated from it. I'm really happy that didn't uh, actually occur. Uh, we're, we're like, I mean, we're getting to like the, the last little parts of it here. Like the exchanges, though, near the end of this episode are also really telling, like Tony and Polly saying, you know, it's okay, really. Just forget it. It's haunting. Right? Like, as you say, Sue, the smiling Tony Soprano, the nice Tony Soprano is a menacing Tony Soprano. He's terrifying. Got like, mayonnaise really terrifying. in your chin. <laughs> <laughs> Polly survives, though, right? Isn't he's he the, the only one of the one. very few? Yeah. Actually, maybe he's the, he's the only one. Yeah, Silvio's definitely gone. Bobby's gone. Well, Silvio might have, like, Silvio's shot to death, right? Yeah. We don't actually have confirmation that he's dead, but he's, like, on life support. kind of assume, yeah. Yeah. But, like, uh, no, you know, the rat managed to scuttle aboard. He's going to show up working for, who's left at the end? Little Carmine? <laughs> Paulie yeah. and Little Carmine. What, a, what an absolute uh, brilliant combo of people that it is. Like, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I, I didn't quite... When you think about the, the massacre that is the last few episodes of The Sopranos, and if we assume that Tony's dead, Paulie was pretty well to get out of this alive. And I mean, the mayonnaise in his chin, hugely embarrassing for, for Paulie, obviously. Yeah, he had the last <laughs> laugh. Um, <laughs> that got deeper than anything else. It, it's true, it really did. And it's not the end, though. It's not like, I mean, we do get one final closing shot. And, uh, I mean, it is Melfi and, and Tony chatting once again. Uh, and Jennifer is talking about it. If I, I asked you if I thought she was a happy person. And Tony goes on this monologue where things are no longer good in his life. Why does everything got to be so hard? I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I do the right thing by my family. Doesn't that count for anything? Like, Tony's kind of Yeah. Tony Soprano hoping for karma is, is hilarious. Uh, and then she like, starts to pry a little bit deeper. You know, I want to discuss what attracted you to glory in the first place and arena before her. Depressive personality, unstable, impossible to please. Does that remind you of any other woman? And it's fade to black. Like, it's not a bit weird that Tony Soprano is trying to find the, his, mother. his mother in all his love interests. Yeah, no. I think that's, isn't that the whole <laughs> concept of Freudian? Yeah. Freudian analysis. You, you want to talk to your mother. marry your mother, kill your father. I have heard that before, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like I, 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 I. It's the Sophocles. That's the King Oedipus. That's the. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say one more thing that we actually glanced over real quick? The Tony in the room with Slava is probably one of my favorite scenes from this, and I actually laugh from start to finish because his reactions. The camera on his face through that episode, he walks in and you can see him going, okay, he's introduced me to his daughter. Okay, this is fine. This might be okay. This might be all right. And then the glance over at the gun and then he's sitting there with the, the bag on the other side of the desk and he's just like wondering the entire time if he's going to make it out of the room is just hilarious. Like James Gandolfini in that entire scene is amazing. Mm. That was just, like, I mean, if I was uh, Tony Soprano, I would not have gone to that meeting. I would have, I would have <laughs> ran ahead, rang ahead and said, no, screw that. Um, <laughs> one, one final thing, Jerry, I know you got to go, uh, is could this have worked if Silvio was sent instead of Paulie? I mean, no. this, this, this is... This, <laughs> no, I mean, Silvio's smart. Silvio's a brain. And they would have, they would have got out of there with, uh, with no trouble whatsoever. 
I don't think it could have worked in, in summertime either. I think no. the snow is ult- ultimately incredibly important in the whole thing. The, the snow is a, is a key character in this. Uh, listen, this has been uh, Pine Barrens. We could have done another hour. We'll do another episode of Sopranos some other time. Uh, it's season three, episode 11. Go check it out if you haven't already. It is an absolute classic. Jerry Gilroy, thank you. You're very welcome. Sue Murphy, great stuff. Thank you. This has been Let's Go Back To. We will see you next time. Make sure to check out the rest of our podcast where we've been watching back a lot of great movies and uh, with a lot of great guests as well. So uh, we'll chat to you next time. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app.